gathering of God's people for worship is vital for our spiritual lives. And if it's possible, those times when we also celebrate the Lord's table make it even more significant. A couple of times this year, through our study of Scripture, uh, it's been emphasized that communion is essential to a healthy spiritual life. Celebrating the Lord's table. The bread and the cup, they are not magical. But if those who know Jesus come to this table prepared and understanding what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, then this, at the very least, refreshes us. This is where we remember His love for us and redeclare our love for Him. Uh, at this table, our hope is restored, our burdens are released, our joy is renewed. Because we see this table as so significant, uh, we, beginning of this month, will celebrate on the first and third Sundays of each month around this table. As we prepare to do so this morning, I want to take you to the letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Rome. This book of Romans contains some of the most incredible truths in the Christian faith. Yet I want to direct your attention to what seems to be probably the least exciting part of this amazing book. The last chapter of this world-changing letter is mostly made up of a list of names. Uh, the first verses of chapter 16 of Romans are simply a personal recommendation. Uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Shankria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Now Paul wanted to go to Rome himself, but he couldn't do that. Uh, Phoebe was traveling there, probably on business, and so she likely delivered this letter for the Apostle. Uh, imagine being the one who, who turned over these words that uh, really changed the world. And in this uh, letter, Paul included a few words of introduction, commending Phoebe's work as a follower of Jesus. But then what comes next is, is just a bunch of names. In verses 3-16, through 16, Paul gives this long list of people. He says, I'm not sure why we're going. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and Eponidas, greet Mary and Adronicus and Junius, greet Impolatus, Urbanus and Stachys, greet Apelles, Aristobulus and Herodian, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus and Asyncritus, greet Philegion, Patrobus, Hermes, Hermas, Philogius, Julia, Nereus, and Olympus. Isn't that just like reading the phone book? Very exciting, right? Two dozen names that are mostly very unfamiliar to us and difficult to pronounce. In fact, some ancient manuscripts don't even include this list. Perhaps they see this as, as, as very unimportant. But think of it this way. Even though Paul had never even been to Rome, he knew 26 people there. Think about that. Amazingly, he calls them by name and he even includes some bits of information. So I want to take a few moments and show you three characteristics of this list of names and then tell you why it's appropriate for us as we gather around the Lord's table today. The first characteristic I notice in uh, this chapter of, of names is loyalty. Loyalty. Notice uh, verses 3 and 4. 
Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So we have this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who put their necks on the chopping block. They faced danger to help Paul in service of God. And the situation Paul refers to here probably is the one during the riot in the city of Ephesus when a huge crowd gathered to tear the Apostle Paul apart. Uh, But that was only one time out of many when Paul's life was in danger. Uh, Now, it's one thing to support somebody who's a very popular teacher, to buy his books, to listen to her podcasts, but it's another thing to stay with somebody who is being beaten with rods and lashed with whips and put in chains and receiving death threats, as the Apostle Paul did all of that and more. And they stuck with him nonetheless. Verse 6, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Now the Greek word that Paul uses to describe Mary's uh, effort here is kapaeo, which means to work to the point of exhaustion. And she did that much, much work to the point of exhaustion. And not for her own benefit, she did it toward, literally, toward you, Paul says, you and me. So here's somebody who gave her all, and she served well. So say hello to this loyal servant of God, Paul says. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who've been in prison with me. So here are people who shared jail time together. They went to prison for the cause of Christ. They could reminisce about the food and the rats and the terrible conditions. Uh, Spending time behind bars and in chains was the price that many paid for being loyal to Jesus. Right now, there are countless brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering in that same way still today, and we must not forget them. Loyalty for the cause of Christ. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my friend, dear friend, Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. I believe Tryphena and Tryphosa were twins. Their names mean dainty and delicate, and yet that does not at all describe their effort. Uh, these two worked until they dropped. Uh, the same is true for Persis. And it seems like the Christians in Rome were characterized by hard, exhausting work. These are people who gave themselves to ministry and to acts of service. Because of the good news of Jesus, they gave all their energies and even risked their health for the sake of the Gospel. Now like you, I've met people who are lazy and people who work hard. And it doesn't really have that much to do with pay either. I've met many volunteers who worked harder and longer and more productively than people who were on the clock. Uh, Some of that is work ethic. But the biggest difference, I think, is a commitment to the cause. Dedication springs from a greater vision to contributing something to something bigger, larger than yourself. And loyalty is an important characteristic of this list of names. The second characteristic is intimacy. Intimacy. Because repeatedly, Paul uses terms of endearment toward these people, people he's not met. For instance, verse 5 Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Literally, Paul refers to this guy as well loved or dearly loved. And there's always a special relationship to someone whom you've brought to Christ, pointed to Jesus. Uh, Greg was a man I had the privilege of 
of seeing come to Christ a few years ago. And uh, I did not get a chance to say goodbye to him before moving to Texas. And shortly after that, shortly after we arrived here, he died unexpectedly. Uh, I miss Greg. I miss having the chance to say goodbye and look forward to seeing him again in heaven. Uh, Paul had that kind of relationship with, with, with this one he called a dear brother. And then verses 8 and 9. Greet Empelatus, whom I love in the Lord, and my dear friend Stagius. So Paul's not a, a bashful uh, about expressing affection for these guys. They have a close attachment. They formed a spiritual bond as strong as any family DNA connection. When I teach uh, Leadership 101, uh, in, in that class I point out that the term the New Testament uses the most to describe those who follow Jesus is the word brothers. It's used over 200 times in the Greek New Testament. Now in Greek that word is not gender specific like it is for us. Uh, you don't call, I mistakenly signed one of our staff cards, birthday cards, to one of our, our, our female workers as brother. That was an accident. I got confused. I, I'm old. Uh, but that, but that, that word is gender specific for us. In the Greek New Testament, it's not gender specific. Uh, it it is, uh, goes either way. But, but it is a joy for me to call Christian men brother and to exalt in our family relationship because in Christ we are family. Verse 11 Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now it's interesting, Paul doesn't name these people. Likely because he did not personally know the family of Narcissus. But he did know Narcissus. He was a wealthy, influential believer who had died a short time before Paul wrote these words. Uh, many scholars say that, that Narcissus was executed by the Roman government. Some scholars believe that Narcissus was actually forced to kill himself uh, be, by political rivals. But regardless of how he died, Paul sent greetings to this grieving family. He shared in their pain because of Jesus. In 2005, I was part of a small group of, of five men. And in that year, three of us lost our dads in that, in that period of time. So how well we were able to console each other and to provide support as we all went through that same experience. And Paul gives that kind of comfort to these fellow believers in the time of grief. Greet these who are in the Lord. And that, Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. Uh, those are words of relationship, love, intimacy. This type of kinship and affection uh, should be found among the people of God. Now in a church that's any larger than maybe 50, at the most 100 people, you can't possibly have that kind of uh, intimacy, that kind of interrelationship with everybody. But there should be a smaller group of people with whom you can share uh, that loving concern. And that's why, another reason why we're launching more new grow groups in January. In this smaller group setting, you're better able to connect with each other, better able to share with one another. There will be those who are like mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers to you because of Jesus. And verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, a kiss on the cheek or forehead was a form of greeting among early believers. It was one of the practices that led to charges of immorality from outsiders. Why? Well, because the, the church was made up of such different people and it was unheard of for dissimilar social groups and cultures to treat one another like family. But that's what the church was doing. 
Uh, Paul does qualify the kiss as holy. Uh, it was not to be romantic, but familial. Now, in our culture, uh, an appropriate hug or a hearty handshake is far more suitable. Uh, but as part of God's family, we need to foster affection and develop relationships that bind us together. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply. Uh, we should express and demonstrate that bond of love. Intimacy characterizes this list. The third characteristic after loyalty, intimacy, is diversity. Diversity. This, what impresses me most about this list of names is the great variety. Eponidas was a Gentile. Mary was Jewish. Empitus, uh, uh, Urbanus, Stachys, and Apelles, they're all common slave names. Uh, contrast that with Herodian, who was related to Herod the Great, uh, and Aristobulus, who was probably Herod's grandson. So alongside those who were slaves were those who were royal. Priscilla and Aquila made tents to, to make a living. And, and also, more than one-third of the names here are women. Now, while not given equal status in society, women played a significant part in the progress of the gospel. And so we have Jews and Greeks and Romans, male and female, single and married, slaves and freemen, labor and management, poverty and royalty all together. Paul sent individual greetings to a group of people who represented every kind of social and ethnic description and distinction in that city. And yet this mixed and motley crew became the church of Jesus Christ in Rome. How is that possible? Well, repeatedly, Paul uses the phrase, in the Lord, or in Christ, or in Jesus. Nine times in these 16 verses, he refers to Christ as the one who holds this diverse group of people together. So the answer to how a diverse group of people can band together and regard each other highly in love is the cross of Christ. Through the cross, God provided the bridge from death to life. The cross is the way sinful people are accepted by a holy God. All who trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus cross over from death to life. That's John 5.24. Jesus says that. The crossing over of death to life. Uh, but, but we shouldn't limit that to simply some kind of individual transaction. Uh, God's purpose in the cross was to bridge every gap to knock down the wall that divided and separated us. And we are so very different, whether in nationality or language, personality or preference, but through the cross, every barrier is destroyed. All are united under Christ. See, the purpose of the cross was far bigger than humans could ever imagine. Uh, let me take you to Ephesians chapter 2, which says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. See, God's plan was for a single undivided people for Himself. Not by making everyone the same, but by everyone clinging to Christ. All who have Jesus as the foundation of life who stake their purpose and destiny on Him, become one in Christ. And so, when we come to this table today, all who trust in Jesus are welcome. All whose trust is in Christ alone. Celebrate that by, by 
the, the sacrifice that He gave that crossed the chasm of sin and death, that's been spanned for us by Jesus. The walls of separation have been destroyed. And with the bread and the cup, we remember the price paid for our forgiveness from sin, our freedom from condemnation, our fellowship with God and with His church. And so I like to put it this way, that the grand purpose of the cross was to eliminate the barriers between us and God and between God's people and each other. When you are in Christ, you are more than a name. You're part of the church of the living God. You're joined with people from every nation and every language and every generation who make up the body of Christ. You know what sends shivers through the powers of hell? Let the rulers and the authorities in heavenly realms see what Jesus has done. Uh, Let them see how sinful people have been declared daughters and sons of the living God, made clean by the blood of Christ. Let those spiritual forces see how the cross of Christ brings together black and white, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, Asian and Hispanic, young and old, male and female. Let the cosmic powers know that Jesus is victor. Let, Let us cause demons to run and angels to shout praise because Christ has destroyed the barriers between us. And we demonstrate that as we gather in worship and we gather around this table remembering what Christ has made possible. And and this is the visible, tangible way God has given us to demonstrate that unity around the table celebrating it until Jesus returns. In a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to receive communion. All who have put their trust in Christ alone for salvation from sin and death and hell are welcome at this table. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to this church. It is the Lord's table. And around this table, we remember Him. At this table, we give thanks. Gather around this table and be astonished. Be astonished that not only has He saved you, but that He has saved many. Celebrate not only that you have been made God's child, but that you are part of God's family. Wonder at the diversity of age and nationality and income and background and status and culture that makes up the people of God. Honor the Savior who suffered and died, was buried and conquered death. And so as the deacons prepare to distribute these elements, I invite you to focus on that truth and be prepared to give thanks and celebrate the one who has done all for us.